You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco, and this is episode 278. With us today, we have our good friend and colleague and co-host, Peter Alchul. What's going on today, Peter? So yesterday, the high in Columbia was 82 degrees. Today, the high is 60. So that's what's I'll, happening. That's what's I'll, happening I'll, here. We got the 70s today. It might not get out of the 50s tomorrow. That's likely no. the same front. It is. And so October is here, obviously. So welcome to fall. Thank you. And today's date is October 7th, 2022. Before we continue with our special guests, let me thank those people who make it possible for In Perspective to be available to the public. We start out, of course, with Raymond Gay, our producer. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place chat line. Thank you very much for airing our programs on Bulletin Board 15. I want to thank our media outlets for airing the show when they can. Thank you. And also Jacqueline Sylvia, our website designer, for archiving in perspective programs on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. And I also want to give a shout-out today to a faithful listener. I want to say hi to Trish Hubschman. Trish, thank you very much for listening to the program. We appreciate that very, very much. Today we have with us Leonard Tuchener. He is an author, and the name of his book is called Merlin, the Magic Turtle, Story of Love and Justice. He's here to talk about that book today. First of all, welcome to In Perspective as a guest. Take, thank you. Thank you. So, so Leonard, before we talk about your book, let's talk a little about uh, who you were before you started writing. So what, t- tell us a little about yourself, you know, what you were doing before you were an author. <laughs> well, I was a rehabilitation counselor. Actually, I was a regular counselor, and I did that for different agencies. And finally, I was in private practice, and I did that for about 20 years or so, or well, more than that. Big pardon? 60 years altogether. Yeah, 60 years altogether. And I really hadn't done any writing until around 60 or 65, something like that. Well, did some writing, some clinical writing. You know, I would write about case case notes and and reports and stuff like that. Did you say? Did you say 60 years? You sound very young, Leonard. Uh, Tell him how old you are. I'm 82. Yeah, never would have known that. Now, did you work for a state agency? I did for about two and a half years, and I I got out because uh, what we were doing, well, I learned how to play the game, which was um, statistics, and I really excelled at that. (laughs) And I didn't like what I was doing, so I left that to do something I liked a little better. And then I worked for an agency called the Jewish Vocational Agency, where I was um, a work evaluator, a counselor, a um, big one. Supervisor. I supervised there too, and and I did that for about sixteen years. I was very happy with it, but then eventually I left and I came to this area in Charlottesville, and then I was a transitional housing coordinator, and I worked for uh, Planning District Ten. Um, which is, uh, oh, it has all kinds of things, uh, mental health people and everything. And then I just went full-time doing straight counseling. And then uh, at about 60 or something like that, I started to write, and I got serious, 
serious about it as I wrote. And I joined a critique group and I learned how to write poetry and uh, the rest is history. So what what types of people did you counsel and what kind of counseling did you do? Uh, people with emotional issues, with um, like anxiety, depression, uh, ADHD, uh, you name it, including schizophrenics, by the way. That was that's when I was working for the educational service. So, and, uh, and the main character in the book is coincidentally named Leonard yes. uh, and is a social worker. So how much of this book is do you think is autobiographical or, or another way of framing the question is, how much of this um, story is is real life for you? Well, you know, they say write about what you know. And although I am not exactly Leonard in there, everything that is experienced in the book, I knew something about. I Leonard knew something about. Uh, for instance, uh, Dr. Meterman, um, who was Leonard's boss, was my boss. Only it wasn't his name wasn't Meterman. He didn't work for. Uh, uh, a private hospital, but his character was the same. Uh, I didn't have a talking turtle, but I had a little tiny painted turtle, which I gave to uh, my girlfriend at the time, and he almost drowned, just like Merlin did while in the swimming pool. He almost got sucked in the uh, the, the sucker. So, you know, the thing that skims. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So you you can point to anything. It takes place in the home ground is Miami, and you go into Gainesville and all kinds of places in Florida, and all those places I'm aware of, and it happens at a time in 1967 when, because uh, a big part of this book is about the color issue uh, in mixed marriage and so forth, and that was very alive at the time. And not that it's not alive today, but a little different then. We didn't call people black. We called them colored and such. So... What you talked about the turtle being sort of quote unquote model, as it were, from your from your uh, play turtle, as it were. I was going to ask you why you didn't choose another animal to to be the talking turtle. You know, like a talking I don't know aardvark or something. Um, but I but 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 I, but I gather it was, you would have, you knew about turtles. Yeah, well, I would have used an aardvark. That was a good idea. But I know I wouldn't be writing about what I knew. Yeah, no, of course, of course. So. What, what gave you the idea of having a turtle that actually talked? Because that's an important part of the story. But why, why would that turtle talk? Well, it's a good way uh, to get a new perspective on things, to have uh, a consciousness that is perceiving humanity from its own point of view. And it's a, it's a ploy that I've used in a lot of things that I've written. I've had talking turtles. I've talked to gnomes. I've talked to septic gnomes. I've talked to... Uh, Mice, I've talked to a whole lot of different animals, and I've talked to vegetables too. So, does that answer your question? Talking turnips, perhaps, right? Never, you know, yeah. turnips, turnips should be good for something, I suppose. Or talking tomatoes it has all kinds of potential, but talking that, Brussels that's, sprouts, talking Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I had so, a turnip. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you had a what? I had a talking turnip. I wrote ah, about a talking turnip. Did you? Okay. All right. Well, I would. So, so the, the book opens, uh, the hero, as it were, was, was, it was fishing and, uh, runs into this, saves the turtle's life, actually, uh, from drowning. And one of the things that, that interested me is, uh, two things about the turtle. One, of course, is, is sort of the comments he makes, which are sort of 
sort of it has sort of a snarky feel to them and sort of a commentary of what's going on around him. He's a very astute he's a very astute talking turtle. He doesn't say very many stupid things. He's you know he's always commenting on what's going around. But one of the things that interested me was the way the turtle is accommodated. Right there's so many things the turtle needs to be once once the once everybody acknowledges the fact that he can talk and it's not a ventriloquist's trick which happens quite often. They have to make adjustments. And so, you know, so how, for example, can a turtle talk on the telephone and all kinds of other things? How did you sort of think through all those things about, you know, how, how, how a turtle does certain things and how do you, how do you accommodate uh, an environment so a turtle can function properly, talking or not? Well, it has something to do with the way I write. Uh, I don't have a full story in mind when I start writing. And so as I write, it unfolds and then there's certain needs that I didn't perceive, I didn't anticipate. And communicating over distance in my absence and for other reasons needed a way for the turtle to be able to talk on a telephone. So I went ahead and invented it in my mind. Plus the fact, one of the, in my former life as a sighted person, um, I did a lot of handy things stuff, a lot of handy craft stuff, you know, like I built two boats and stuff like that. So I can think that way. But it's not just the phone, of course, the turtle. How do you accommodate a turtle to live in a house uh, and to swim in a pool and to get to the pool of, so that he's not seen? And uh, all that kind of stuff I thought was really interesting and well done. About how do you accommodate, how do you make accommodations to make a turtle's environment turtle, turtle fun and mm-hmm. enemy proof as much as possible? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, well, by the way, uh, the canals that uh, I used to kayak down those canals in Miami, which are all over the place, and this one was about two blocks from my house, Uh, so it was easy to think about, you know, the turtle in that way. But anyway, it was just just a side issue. Sure. So Leonard, uh, so Leonard and the turtle are, uh, you know, living their lives, and they've gotten used to each other, and they've figured out how to address a nosy neighbor and all this other stuff that's going on. Uh, and Leonard has his own sets, sets of, chal- uh, of troubles, which, which you write about in, in the book. And then he runs into Kira. Talk about who Kira was. Well, Leonard had an accident, uh, on a motorcycle and his wife at the time was riding on the back of it. And Leonard was really banged up and, uh, part of the book is about looking for his wife because, well, that's a long story. But um, what was the question again? Kira. Oh, Kira. Yeah, Kira. So yeah. Kira took care of Leonard while he was recuperating. She was his nurse. And um, there was a, a long, there was about two years in which Leonard, I guess, was suffering from what's dramatic, the, dramatic stress syndrome and um and he was trying to adjust and find out where he was and who he was. And the turtle was one way of, of getting him to express that. And he ran into Kira again as he was trying to look down the, uh, the records of his wife. Um, because there, there was a, he wasn't supposed to talk to her and he wasn't even sure that she was alive. And so he went back to the, to that hospital where he was a patient, where he also had been an employee at the time. And, um, he ran into Kara again and then she offered her help. And it turned out that, that she always, that she was in love with him. 
from the time she first met him, and he hadn't given much thought to it, but that's who she what, who she was, and of course that complicated things because he didn't know whether he was worried whether he was married or not. He didn't know what he would do when he found that if she was alive and that she, she needed his help, uh, and so they both attacked the problem and they located her. And I won't tell you. I won't no, tell you. no, you, you don't have to talk about the, the sort of labyrinthine uh, process by which they do find her and, and how that gets resolved. And what I found interesting is something you said in the, in the book in that Merlin is, becomes sort of a therapist, right? For the, for, for Leonard to help him think through the issues and to help him, as you said, address, uh, address his PTSD that he had, you know, when he had that motorcycle accident and, and uh, Neil got killed himself and, you know, he never knew what happened to his wife as a result of, 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 uh, you know, there are different parts of the hospital and one thing led to another. So, um, they, they, uh, uh, they, they find the, the, the wife and what do they find about her without going into great detail? But what, what do they find about the wife and, um, and what happens? Well, as far as he knew, um, she had been brain, brain damaged and, but she had recovered all of her faculties except her memory. Uh, and I don't want to get too much, no. but that was her condition when, uh, he found her. She was, uh, uh, and well, I don't know how to, how to, how to go any further in that. The, the, the only thing I'll, I think the only thing to say now that I think about it is the problem gets resolved. How it gets resolved is interesting, but we don't need to go into that. That, that's part of the plot of the book. But one of the things I do want to talk about a little bit, we, we we didn't talk, we talked about Kira. We didn't talk about you mentioned in, in passing that that she was black, and so you have this mixed race relationship, um, which during that time in Florida and probably other most parts of the country was a really controversial thing, and they run into all kinds of trouble uh, in, in the book. And there always there's a lot in the book about how things were back then and how people sort of reacted to the fact that there are certain hotels, for example, that that. African-Americans or colored people, as they were told, called back then, and sometimes much worse, weren't welcomed. And, you know, there's, there's a whole conversation, and Leonard has a lot to learn about how how that all worked. And I thought that the way that whole thing was handled was interesting. You know, what, 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 were, you sort of, what were your sort of reactions to all of that as you were writing it? Uh, I wanted to um, be very careful about what I wrote, not to use... Uh, phrases or things that we might have said back then that might be considered um, gauche today in, the, in today's world, things that I wanted to touch on uh, prejudices that she had learned to work around much, and I wasn't prepared to, or I was prepared to do, to do anything for her, but I didn't know how to handle it when when I was involved and was directed at me. There was one incident where once the person was, it was very nice to me, but I didn't tell him that I was, I had my girlfriend in the, in the, um, in the car. And when she came there and she was, uh, black, she, she slammed the door in our face. So, so we had all kinds of people there. We had some that were just totally open and some that were totally closed. And, um, but, but Kira was able to handle it all. And, um, and that's that's sort of the way it was back then that that African Americans had to learn to address a, a hostile environment, uh, and Leonard had a lot to learn to to, so, to support her in addressing that. Of course, 
it's probably it's still the same today, but not nearly as dramatic as it was back then, it seems to me. But that's that's I'm editorializing at the moment. But that's sort of the way I sort of see things. I agree um, with that, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So and of course, there there is one scene that's that's kind of scary, you know, where, where uh, it's it's much worse than just being ignored or ridiculed or have their door having a door being slammed in their face. They they uh, they get attacked by uh, people that aren't very nice. And then when they fend off the attacks, they call the police. There's the question of who who will the police believe, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that that you know sometimes things haven't changed very much in that arena either. You know, the police ultimately believed. Uh, you know Leonard and the and the black person, but it wasn't clear for quite a while that that they would be believed, and that was that was uh, you know that was kind of dicey. Yeah, uh, but that's the way things were, as I understand those times, yeah. where the police were, were you know even even when the evidence was pointing towards that the white people did you know did the wrong thing, the police often didn't want to go down that direction, uh, yeah. and that that was kind of a but that was that was well done. And fortunately, let's just say, fortunately, Leonard had karate experience. We'll, we'll leave. We'll, we'll 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 leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. So, yeah. talk. Let's go back to 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 Merlin, by the way, which is M E R L Y N, not I N. Unlike Merlin. the magician and King Arthur. That's right. Or or properties as well. But E R L Y N of the Magic Turtle is the title of the book. And so Merlin has a history. Uh, he just doesn't appear in the swamp. He's, he has a back history, and so talk a little bit about that. His back history, but that's the sec- that's the balance of the book. So where was Merlin before he, before Leonard found him in in the swamp? Well, when he was just hatched on the beach somewhere in Miami, it was one of those. It was the you know the moon was shining, and he had to uh, run into the sea and and with a, a load of other turtles and. This little girl saw him, saw the, you know, a lot of them and he, she picked him up and, uh, she, uh, begged her parents to let her keep him. And so he was with her for, till she was in her early, her late teens until, you know, uh, she got something happened to her. She, there was an accident in her family too. And Merlin had learned to speak with her. But it becomes clear that Merlin is not a normal turtle. Uh, and so I mentioned the canals before. Uh, she was living with, with the girl. Her name is Angela, I think. Yeah. 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 And um, so all of a sudden there was one day that nobody came home. Of course, he could hear the neighbors speaking. And then he learned that they weren't coming home because they had a uh, an accident. And uh, he didn't know whether anybody had survived or not, but he did hear them saying that the girl had been taken off to the hospital. So he uh, got out through the screen uh, where the swimming pool was, screened in, and he made his way to the canal, and he swam down the canal to uh, Mango Swamps. I actually made that trip on my uh, canoe, and uh, and then he learned how to be a wild turtle. And he learned a lot of about the world, what he overheard fishermen and so forth saying. And then he had that situation where he almost drowned and he needed, uh, and Leonard happened to be there and he just, you know, so he. And uh, Leonard, uh, at the very beginning of the book, uh, yeah. Leonard, uh, you know, turtle needs, needs to be saved and talks and Leonard doesn't know what to make of this talking turtle. Um, and that's how the whole book starts. You talk? How, what do you mean you talk? I can talk. 
just like I, you know, there's all <laughs> kinds of snarky snarkiness goes back and forth, but that's that's how the book starts. So once uh, the, the problem of his wife being resolved, Roland wants to be reunited with Angela. Right. And and so that's the that's the balance in the book about how that how that happens. And without Kira, of course, this would not have been possible at all. And the rest of the book talks about how that reuniting takes place and how Angela's life changes for the better once Merlin is back in her, whatever the right word is, ownership life. isn't quite the right word, but, but they become friends back, right, back in, back in, back in her life. And, and then the issue becomes what happens to Angela because Angela's caretaker has her own medical issues and which, which prompts a question. There is a court hearing to uh, talk about the how how Angela is ready to be uh, adopted, I guess is the right word. And that court hearing that you write about, you know, talking about Leonard toward the end of the book, is very, very lifelike to me. And I'm wondering if you had experiences in your life doing that kind of stuff, you know, going to court. Because that 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 was one of the more lifelike parts of the book to me was that whole court hearing. You know, you know the section I'm talking about? Yes. So is that something you, you knew about or, or experienced yourself or how did you, how did you, how were you able to construct that scene? Well, I was a um, vocational expert. <clears throat> That's the title. And I would be called upon occasionally to go into court and uh, give testimony as to whether a person was able to work or not. And I've been to court several times as a counselor uh, for clients and stuff like that. And um, so I guess I had, oh, and of course, I went to court myself once or twice at the traffic court because uh, <clears throat> I have to tell you, I was driving long after I was capable of being safe. <laughs> so, and I've had many accidents, but yeah, because of my vision mm-hmm. and um, the, um, and I've been there seeing what it's like also to be cross-examined uh, on the, you know, as the, the accused as well. So, but not not seriously, just, you know, for traffic stuff. So I guess that kind of gave me the background. I thought that was really well handled, you know, because that, that was a, that, that, those are complicated scenes, you know, where people are t- trying to assess whether, in this case, Angela uh, is, is ready to do what she wanted to do. Is she adult enough to make these kinds of decisions? And, uh, I thought that was an extremely well, well crafted scene. The other thing that happens at the end of the book, of course, is that Leonard and Kira get married. And in order for that to happen, the parents have to approve of the wedding and both sets of parents aren't sure about this marriage at all. And so it was a whole lot of talking about that. And then they, then they meet. This, these, uh, these white Jewish parents and these African American Baptist parents meet and the tensions, uh, are, they, they work, but it takes a little bit of doing. And then once again, Kira comes through and sort of figures out how to deal, uh, diffuse some of the potential tensions that goes on. And Kira really is, is an amazing sort of diplomat. And that's, that's the way a lot of African Americans had to be at that time. And I think still do to a large extent. And all of us who are minorities have to as well if we're going to be successful. I was going to say blind people are used to this too. Exactly. This form of culture. Exactly. It's exactly the same kind of dynamic, I think. Any reactions to any of that, Leonard? Yeah. You spilled the beans about we got married. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. But, 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 but the, pro- the, the process is more interesting than the actual what happens. Well, uh, actually, actually, uh, yeah, I, my reaction is that um, when I was, uh, uh, about 21 or 22, I, 
I met a shiksa, that means a non-Jewish girl, and I did marry her. This, she's my first wife. <clears throat> Diane is my second wife. I've been married to Diane a lot longer than I was to, uh, to Yuna. And, um, my mother had ex- those reactions that I wrote about. And I had to find some way of getting over it, which I did. Uh, and, but my wife, they had no problem with that at all. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it is, it is a I sort of wanted to talk about uh, one of the things that really struck me about Merlin, especially was, and I mentioned the word more than once, the issue of accommodations. And I couldn't help thinking about sort of disability in this whole component. I mean, you know, you have this turtle who has this, who is, doesn't have a disability, but has this sort of unique talent and has to be accommodated. It's not just the phone. There are all kinds of other things that, that had to be done. And what I found really intriguing was sort of the conversations that Leonard and the turtle had about, okay, how do we do this? And it was sort of, a, it was, it was sort of good accommodations conversation. Leonard didn't assume what, what Merlin needed. Leonard mm-hmm. usually asked the turtle, right? How, mm-hmm. how, how can you make this work? Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And Merlin sometimes gave snarky responses, but they always seemed to be able to work things out. And the other sort of piece of this that interested me was you're, you're, you have this sort of unique person or unique turtle, as it were, and they have all these people who don't quite know how to handle you, this, this unique person. And I couldn't help but think this is sort of what happens to people with disabilities, but also other groups as well, to a lesser extent, where, you know, all of a sudden we're blind people and they're friends of ours who are sighted, who know that we're blind and handle it well. But then there are other folks who we have to figure out how, how do we address people who are, who are clueless or who are partially clueless or who are sort of clueless. And sometimes friends can help and sometimes they can't. I thought that that whole dynamic was written quite effectively in the book, you know, where Merlin is, you know, you know, what do you do with this talking turtle? And people don't know what to make of this talking turtle. Is this real? Is this a, is this a real turtle or is this a fake turtle? And is he really talking? And, you know, how does, how does, how does he do it? And I just thought that whole thing was, was really interesting. And how, how much did your disability play into all of that? Uh, If at all. That's what I was just thinking. I wonder why I was it affected by that at all. Um, as you're talking, it, it occurs to me, um, one of the reasons I probably picked the turtle that I didn't realize until just now is that if you're going to pick any animal, you want to pick the one that has the most dis- disability for functioning in society. I mean, he can't, he can't climb. He can't, he can't, uh, well, in the water, he can do just about anything, but you really have to use your mind to, to work out things. Uh, but I, I guess one of the reasons I don't think that it affected the handicap thing really came to my mind is that I spent a good part of my life denying that I had anything wrong. At the same time, I knew I, you know, I needed aids. I couldn't see the blackboard, et cetera, et cetera. But I found ways around it and I found like, driving when I really shouldn't have and that sort of thing. So, but, but I, but I, I think from sort of listening to you talk that that sort of influenced the way you drew the character of Merlin, right? Cause Merlin yeah. knew he was quite capable of doing certain things. Uh, uh, he, he, he couldn't quite climb things, but he, but he could figure out ways of climbing, climbing things more effectively. Right. And those are the kinds of things that we all do. We, we find life hacks to address our disability or to address our, 
the way we don't function in as we as well as we we want to in society. We find ways of sort of working around it. And sometimes they're illegal and sometimes they're less so and sometimes they're controversial and sometimes they're not. I just thought a lot about that as as as, as I was reading this, you know, the, about Merlin and how, you know, so how how did Leonard react and then how did Kira react and how did the the, the later on how did the psychiatrist react and how did and who who do you tell? Do you tell the neighbor? And if so, how do you tell the neighbor? You know, all this kind of stuff just, just struck me as really fascinating sort of disability education, as it were. And, you know, whether whether or not you wrote it that way deliberately, I thought it's a, it's a very interesting way of sort of viewing disability. Uh, well, thank you. As I say, I didn't have a plan in mind. Plan worked itself out. So. Leonard, before we turn our program over to our participants, where can we find the book, your book? Uh, well, you can find it uh, Amazon by its name, and you can get a lot of other information from there too. But I have um, a URL that you can that if I noticed that um, Leonora is there, and this is. Uh, this is the URL that where where my where the book is to be found. Okay, https colon slash slash www dot dldbooks dot com slash touchner. That's t u c h y n e r slash. And if they want, if somebody wants to and they, they can't, and that's not enough, enough information, uh, they can contact me by email. And my email is, uh, touchner, that's T-U-C-H-Y-N-E-R-5 at AOL.com or the same beginning. It's, but also on the Gmail account as well. And what is, uh, what is the, what is the complete title of the book? The what? The complete title of the book. Oh, Merlin the Magic Turtle. What's the rest? A story of love and justice. A and story of, of love and justice. Love and, and those are both powerful themes throughout the book. Love, of course, and, and justice. Mm-hmm. So uh, are we oh, time to do questions, Bob? Yes. All right. So go ahead. Why don't we start that process? Marsha Wick, I'm going to hey. pull Leonard's leg because I'm in one of his writing groups. And so I often have the pleasure of reading his pieces and he often animates animals or bugs or rodents. And, you know, he has a very clever imaginative mind. I, I don't like that at all, but when I, when I, you know, applaud his imagination, you know, he'll often say to me, I, you know, I didn't make that up. It all happened for real. <laughs> <laughs> So I just love his mind and, and, you know, I applaud your finishing your book, Leonard. Good job. Thank you. Next up is phone numbering one, phone number ending in one, two, five. Phone number. Hi, this is Sally. Hey, Sally. Sally. I'm also a member of the same critique group Marsha is, and I also love Leonard's writing. I just have a question. I'm reading Merlin now. And perhaps this is addressed in the book, but if it is, I haven't reached it yet. Why the variant spelling for Merlin's name? Why L-Y-N instead of more common L-I-N? 
just came out that no plan just came out that way. Yeah. Right, but 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 the question is sort of an interesting one, right? The typical Merlin is M E R L I N, and he and Leonard, you spelled it with a Y L Y N, and it's sort of a he take. Could uh, it have been possible, Leonard, that maybe subconsciously you wanted to distinguish one Merlin from the other Merlin, and that was yes. the way to do it? Yeah, that that's yeah. that was part of it, that for sure. To yeah. really set Merlin apart. Yeah. 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 And also Merlin wasn't really a magic turtle, right? He had, he had one unique skill. Right. He could talk. You know, he, yes. he could, he couldn't jump through hoops. He couldn't, uh, he could, he could sing though, actually come to think of it. <laughs> he does sing at some point during the book, but that's a, you know, that's uh, icing on the cake as it were. Yeah. It is kind of interesting, but, but he wasn't really a magician. He was a talking turtle. So that's right. yeah. Thank you, Sally. Anything else? Mm-hmm. We're ending in 880. You're up next. Eight eight zero. Can you hear me? Yeah, now yes. we can. Who is Hello? this, please? Hello. So, uh, thank you very much, uh, Leonard, for being on the uh, on the program. I have a different take. I like to ask about your background in emotional counseling. Um, I recently read a book called Boys Adrift, written by Leonard Sachs. He talks about how boys nowadays, especially with social media. And, and video games and other factors are unmotivated. Um, and there's somebody in my family who's unmotivated, and some people in my family have said he's autistic. And I'm just wondering, and he went through college, and he has a computer science degree, but he works in a grocery store and doesn't seem to be motivated. And luckily his parents are, are well off enough that they, you know, he's able, they're able to support him. But well, I'd like to draw on your, your experience in emotional counseling. How, uh, if, if I should, or if anybody, you know, his parents should, how can they motivate him to, to make better use of his education? And before you answer, Leonard, uh, who was just speaking? A name? This is Matt. From where? Um, uh, Ashburn, Leonard. Virginia. Okay. Thank you. It helps us. Leonard, can you address Matt's question, please? That's a hard one because uh, uh, that was like he's asking a question that of a professional, which I am not any longer. I'm retired, but I but but uh, if there's maybe a, I think I'm just primarily asking your opinion, but with somebody with some some experience in in that field. Autism and uh, oh, just a second. Autism and all the different yeah. levels of autism. All the, and and how. People all the different people can handle How, their lives. It depends on level of autism. And yeah, uh, yeah, my wife is filling me in because we have bad connection and I don't hear that well. So the question is that he has this the education. Is he has this education, but he isn't using it. And you want to know how to motivate him to use it? Yeah. 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 I, this is a this is a very complex question. I wouldn't dare to try to answer it. Uh, okay, uh, but, but let, sorry, let, I, let, I thought I'd try. No, no. Let, let, let me let me uh, let me let me throw something, and Leonard, you can you can uh, you can react to it uh, because one of my step step kids doesn't have autism, but it's close. And part part of the challenge that, uh, and this is this is true for people from other groups too, is that we. We are a hard culture to navigate sometimes for people who are different. 
And this is especially true if uh, if the difference is profound. You know, the more profound the difference, the harder it often becomes. And it wouldn't surprise me to find out that this guy had all kinds of trouble through no fault of his own navigating the navigating the uh, the, the culture and found it easier just to take the easiest job it could get and 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 be safe. And so the challenge I think becomes how can how can we as friends and supporters make him feel more safe to take to take risks and just preaching isn't going to do it. And you know my my sense is we need you know Matt we we need to we need to know a lot more to be able to be more helpful. But I think the issue sort of becomes how can we find ways to encourage him to take risks because it's hard. You know it's hard to be different. Um, it's about you know, motivation. Uh, well, it's about it's about maybe tweaking the environment a little bit. You know, it may be a number of things, but, you know, preaching is not going to do it. Time and also time. Yeah, it takes time, too. It takes um, time. I wish Temple Grandin were here to address that issue because uh, her point is that autistic people are different kind of learners. They are visual people. They uh, they get their, their concept people. They see things on the whole and when you bring it down to our level or the level where English is so important um, and uh, and seeing things as we do and the whole educational scheme is uh, geared to the way we, I want to say we, you know, we're not, who are not autistic, generally follow. Um, so the environment is not really set up for them to, to um, uh, compete in. And yet their abilities may be superior in many ways to the general abilities. And if we could show a level of appreciation and an understanding of what they do see, what they do understand, what they or not, what they do, how they understand and so forth, I think that would be a really good thing. But and the other thing I would say about it is computer science is, is a is one of the fields that people with autism tend to do quite well at. And so there, you know, and, and there's a desperate need for people with those kinds of skills. So, you know, Matt's question is a really interesting one because people are crying for people with computer science skills. Mm-hmm. And yet there are a bunch of folks, uh, who might have those skills that are being, uh, who are being discouraged from trying, trying to be successful because of, of the way our, our culture is set up. It's one of the puzzling things of, of the work world these days. Anything else you want to react to? Yeah, think, Go ahead. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, yeah. So uh, I don't want to take too much time because I know there are other speakers, uh, but I think he did get a computer science degree. And, but uh, from, from what I've heard from other family members is he does not deal well. And he doesn't, he doesn't work well at all with, with pressure mm-hmm. uh, and social, social environments. He's not, he's not, comfortable at all in social environments talking to people or or that sort of thing so but yeah, but yeah he works gro- that- he works in a grocery store right so, <laughs> um, and listen this is difficult stuff and my basic reaction is maybe he could find a job where he could work from home there's a lot of telecommuting uh you know telework there are, there are ways of working through it but it's, it's challenging it's really really hard and uh i, I think you're you're on the right track uh, thank you ray is there anybody else okay Ray. Yes. Uh, Beth from New Mexico, you are up next. Hey, Beth. Hey, Beth. Hi, Beth. Hi. Um, that sounds like a cool book, Merlin the Magic Turtle. 
and I think I found him a girlfriend. No, <laughs> over here in New Mexico, there's a it's a healing park, but it's in the shape of a turtle, and her name is Trinity. Is she a turtle? Yeah, she has a yeah, she is a it's a park in the shape of a like a turtle, and she has a fountain within her and stuff like that, and and. Or a, not a fountain, you know, where you could take a bath in and stuff like like a whirlpool and stuff. And it says it's a. Uh, I think they call her the Trinity, the Healing Turtle Park. <laughs> so Leonard, you don't. It's not really uh, made clear in the book one or other. Did, did Merlin? Does Merlin ever get a girlfriend? Not that I know of. Not that you know of. Yeah. So Merlin is 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 a bachelor turtle. You know that that's the way. Bless oh. <laughs> yeah. him. He starts off as a little tiny turtle, but he right. he keeps growing. And in the uh, epilogue of the book, projects into the future, and he's he's you know, he's a, a worldwide traveling turtle. And I'm I've set it up to where if I ever write a sequel to this, he probably will come as a turtle that came from outer space. Yeah, you may make an allusion oh, to that in the book. Actually, that, that there was some talk about. Merlin somehow arriving from a different planet or something. There's a reference to that in the book, which I thought was kind of interesting. Because that, that's and, uh, Go ahead, Beth. And also I wanted to say my daughter has the same problem with thank you. I'm gonna tell her that about computer scientists. My daughter has the same problem with her son is he's got Asperger's and he'd rather stay in the room and play video games. He works mm-hmm. he works at a old like a construction thingy, but uh, he can't really really deal with a lot of social pressure either. Mm-hmm. But then once he gets home, he just sits in his room and plays video games. And she's like, "Why don't you get out of the house and stuff like that?" And I don't know. He just doesn't want to. Well, and I, I, um, I'm going to comment about this as a guy who, as a blind guy who who worked fifty, sixty hour weeks for himself for many years. Get home working 50, 60 hour weeks as the only blind person in, around the place. And all you want to do is distress. You know, it's, that's not an unusual thing. Uh, you know, I didn't want to do much socializing. I just, I just needed the space to, to recharge. And, yeah. and on Monday morning, I was ready to go back to work. So I don't think that's, you know, you know, whether you like video games or not is one thing, but having, giving people the space to charge, I think makes, makes, makes some sense to me. It does. Okay. Very true. Thank, thank you, Beth. Go ahead, Beth. Uh, okay, so I believe it's Alice, phone number ending in 878, that's next. And then Marlene is after her. Alice. Alice. Thank you. Thank you, Ray and Peter. And, of course, like Marsha and Sally, I am also in one of Leonard's three critique groups, which he moderates, facilitates, for Behind Our Eyes each month, besides the one that he does locally face-to-face with people there in the Charlottesville area. And, of course, we're so grateful to Leonard for all of that effort that he puts forth. But a frequent comment at our group that has met for well over six years now consistently each month is how versatile Leonard's writing is. And he writes in a number of genres, and within those genres, such a wide variety of topics. And so my question for Leonard is, uh, that great versatility of your writing, 
did you enjoy writing this particular book more? Was it more satisfying than others, or what? Uh, which of those types of writing that you do brings you the most satisfaction as a writer? All of them. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the it depends. The, the story I'm working on at the time is what I'm involved in, and that's that's what and that's enjoyable. Um, Although to write a book 500 and some, uh, as long like Merlin is, uh, the situations there, this book really includes a lot of different stories of different people in different situations. And uh, so that really kept my interest. How many books have you written, Leonard? Well, I published just one other one. The poetry book. book. Uh, I have completed about two or three others, but I just did it for my family. Um, and otherwise, I'm not really big about publishing or, or selling my stuff. It's just the way it is. But um, uh, let's see. I don't, I don't really know why. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, all of us authors know marketing a book is the hardest part of the whole process. And Very much so. Uh, you know, and that, and sometimes just, just the writing and getting it, getting it in some kind of form that you're proud of is, is all that's important. You know. All right. So next up we have Marlene, right? Marlene and then Deanna, you're next. If we don't get to you before the program ends, if Leonard, if you don't mind, and afterwards we'll get to Deanna's comp. Okay. Deanna after that. Marlene. Marlene. Hi. Do you have a time to read a small part of the book, small passage mm-hmm. or have your wife, but she has to be louder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Do we ask ask them if they have if we have time? Uh, well, we'll start with. We have exactly think, six minutes to go, pretty much. So that just gives just, you an idea. All right, start reading from the, the beginning part, and we'll just we'll stop you in three okay. minutes. Okay. This is the beginning of the book. I met Marilyn Merlin sorry, <laughs> in the summer of 1968 while fishing alone in a homemade fold boat. I happened to be in the middle of a South Florida coastal mangrove swamp. I was going for mangrove snappers, but they weren't interested. However, the mosquitoes were interested in me. I'm not sure, but I think they were drawn to the repellent I sported for the occasion. Strangely enough, I heard a small voice just outside my little craft. You might imagine that I was a bit startled. Looking for a logical explanation, I thought someone might have dropped a radio in the drink while passing by. I was amazed that a radio could have survived in the salt water. A waterproof radio would be my catch of the day. Such a remarkable find would certainly be a great conversation piece, but no matter how carefully I searched, I could not spy a radio of any kind. What I did see was a turtle about the size of my palm, right in the spot where the voice seemed to be coming from. At first, I didn't see anything unusual. Then I realized that the little fellow had managed to get himself wedged into a tangle of mangrove roots. His tiny clawed feet were frantically trying to swim out of the trap, although little progress was being made. He stopped suddenly, 
lifted his pouty little head and seemed to be looking straight at me. What are you looking at? he said impudently. My eyes blinked and my jaw dropped. I suppose my irises widened as well. But Excuse I'm, me, we uh, misquoted earlier. We have one minute to go. Yeah, okay. okay. So let, let's let's uh, let's end, end that. Thank you so much for reading that. Yeah, um, thank you. That that very, uh, you write very well, Leonard. Thank you. So, Leonard, what are you working on now? Um, I may be compiling a book right now of um, just just that what we were taught we were we've been talking about of uh, a lot of strange stuff with talking to a lot of different animals, different points of view, but also uh, just weird stuff, but all of them with a point. Okay. Well, we will look forward to having you on if, when and if that book gets published. And uh, thank you for, thank you for, for joining us. And thank you for writing this book. It's, it's, uh, I guess I should ask one other final question and, and as quickly as you can answer it. What is the audience for this book? Who did you write this book for? I just write, I just, I just wrote it to be writing it. Okay. So you would know, I know a special audience in mind. It wasn't written for, uh, uh, turtle lovers or something. Okay. That's that's fine. (laughs) Okay. So our time is up. Unfortunately, we'd like to continue, but we have time restrictions. Leonard, thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Us authors must stick together and we have a lot of them out here tonight and we all know what it's like to write and what to base our writing on and to hope for the best. Good luck in the future with your work, Leonard. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Next week, we're going to be talking about fitness, something that's good for all of us, blind or sighted. Our guest is going to be Bill Kosiaba. He's been on our show before, so we'll look forward to that. Peter, Raymond, our participants, as well as Peter and his wife also. I forgot her name, but thank you for your time. Thank you. And go safe with God's abundant blessings, everyone, and take care.